Well, I'm glad to see those of you who made it and some of you who are watching online today. You didn't get those clocks changed, but you're online. That's good. You know, I'm usually pretty up on what's happening in life, and especially that daylight savings thing because you're a pastor and you're, which way is it swinging? What's it going to do to affect you? But I woke up dead to the world this morning. I was clueless. All I knew that my alarm on the phone was different than what was on the clock on the wall, and it was incongruent to me. And I said, surely it's not late enough in 2022 that we're already at daylight savings time. So I Googled it, and sure enough, March 13, and I'm like, great, I wouldn't have stayed up till midnight or one in the morning and set my alarm to get up at five, you know, and that's sort of my routine sometimes on a Sunday. And uh, so I pulled myself out, I got here, and I saw everybody was a little bit slow coming in today. We even had some challenges with the worship team this morning and those kinds of things. So we're here, we're good, and we're not just here for this meeting but there's a meeting after the meeting today that maybe most of you came for, and you're just waiting for that. And that is free In-N-Out Burgers for everybody today, and that's why the tables are set up. So uh, welcome. If you are new this morning, thank you for coming. We are glad to have you with us. In your seat backs, there is a Connect card. We'd love to know more about you and be able to be of encouragement to you. Uh, my name is uh, Carrie. I'm the lead pastor, and I am blessed to be able to share and build relationships, and we're going to be talking about that some today. Middle schoolers, if you're in here this morning, you're dismissed right now. You're going to go with Chuck next door, and you're in uh, your own group time, so that's pretty cool, and we're just going to push some announcements to the latter part of the service. I want to uh, have us dial in today, though, to this letter that we've been uh, speaking about over the last number of months. And we don't do a lot of letters today. We sort of do emails or we just do the texting. We've changed. But uh, the Apostle Peter wrote a letter to some Christians that were scattered through Asia Minor, which is the modern-day Turkey. And as we stay glued to the world events and we're mindful not only of the area of the world that there is a, a war and trauma, but also to the people of that world and the refugee status and, and just some of the chaos, our hearts and our prayers remain with that. But I think it's just interesting for us as we walk through this letter that Peter wrote 2,000 years ago. This letter that he wrote 2,000 years ago were, was to people that were in uncertain times. And so we've titled this series, Unshakable. Unshakable. Have you ever been shaken by an event in your life that traumatized you? Maybe it's still traumatizing you. Maybe you have what they refer to as PTSD sometimes. And that event or that season of life has not only scarred you, it's immobilized you. And you don't know what to do. And maybe you're carrying that from the past into your present. Maybe it's something recently that's happened in your life. Or maybe when you watch the world scene and you look to the future about uncertainties in your own life, there's just this little wobbliness going on. Big picture. God wants you to stand firm and strong in this life in the future and the life to come because of what he has done for you and what he wants to continue to do for you. God wants you to be an unshakable person. 
That doesn't mean that you won't have weak moments. That won't mean that there's certain things that won't come into your life that cause you to grieve and really despair at times. But there has to be a rock-solid foundation in your life to weather all the storms of life. And you never know when they're coming. Like some of you are in a good season right now. It's like, hey, I'm in certain times. These are good times with what's happening to me. Well, then apparently you must not have any money in the stock market the last couple of weeks. So just, just, just one of the many things out there, right? Or, or you got an electric car or something. I don't know. It's just one of the many things out there. So you're like, well, I'm not needing any uncertain times and I'm good. Well, you just keep waiting. There will be uncertain times that do come. And what happens when things hit the fan then? Will you be able to stand strong? And so Peter, again, and I repeat it because we're pulling each other through every week, and some are new even here this morning. This letter was correspondence from Peter, who was like one of the top dogs in the early church in the first century, to Christians in the Turkey area that were scattered, and they were on the run, some of them for the very fear of their life. Because Nero and all that was going on in the Roman Empire at the time, they were persecuting and killing Christians. And they never knew what the next day would hold. Just as surely as some of the Ukrainian people this very hour. Not what does the next day hold, but what does the next hour. So we look at the letter about people back then. And we can think about people today that are of far. But what about you right now? What do you do in uncertain times? Where do you go? What's your solid foundation? What gives you that unshakable hope? And so we started on this journey with this key passage, and it carries all the way through. In 1 Peter, he leads off and he says, you can probably memorize this over the weeks that we have it, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, some of you are like, I got that, Pastor Kerry. You've been speaking on that the last few weeks. Can we move on? No. Because some of you already have forgotten. And you got caught up in the, the trappings of this week or the uncertainty, whether it's financial or health-oriented, job-related, right? And you need to be reminded again today that you have been born anew if you are a follower of Jesus and you've invited him to be a part, to lead your life. If you're a follower of Jesus as a Christian, you don't become a Christian by going to church or sitting in church or, you know, as I sometimes say, and I'll relate it to our in-and-out day, you don't, you know, become a double-double anymore by sitting in, in an outburger, right? You, you just don't, the transformation doesn't happen. That's to, totally different things. Well, you can come and sit in church and you don't become a Christian. You have to invite Christ into your life. And when you do that, when Christ comes into your life, you are born anew and you're born anew into a living hope. And this living hope is something that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And so we come back and we right-size that picture. Oh, that's right. All that's going on, as a believer in Christ, I have that living hope. And it's not just after I die. It's that living hope for the next hour. 
And if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, that's something that you should check out and become because he has an abundant life for you. And so this idea that being born anew into a living hope has been with us now for these weeks. And it's the concept that you go from being spiritually flat to line to being spiritually alive. You are born again. You are born anew into this. And then he goes on and he says this, Therefore, in verse 13, if we skip down as we move through the last couple of weeks, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. So you're taking that hope that you were born into, and then you're taking that hope and setting it on the grace that's going to be brought to you ultimately at Jesus Christ when he's revealed in his comings. But as obedient children, then, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in this life. And then we jumped to the next verse. In the next verse, if they've got it back there, it's verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And we said last week, this comes as a statement from the Old Testament brought into the New. Here's Peter exhorting these people. <laughs> Don't you hate it when things aren't going well in your life and someone comes along in your life and just sort of berates you and tells you, what's your problem? Suck it up. Get your act together. You need to do better. It's almost like this could be seen that way. What do you mean, Peter? Do you know what's going on around us? Our very lives are in danger. And you're coming and you're beating us with a club, say, be holy as I am holy, do better. No. As we said last week, the word holy means to separate, to sever, to be set apart. And so he's saying, take stock of this new birth and realize that you are set apart for something different. Don't be consumed with the evil desires of the before life or what's around you now, but be holy, be separate unto, live into a new life as I give you that life. And so be holy as I am holy is not a club beating you over the head. It's really inspiration for you to take the living hope that you have. You've been born into a new life. Now live this new life in such a manner that enables you to be strong in uncertain times, to be unshakable in these times. Be holy because I am holy. And last week we looked at two ways that that is lived out, that that is worked out, and that is in the fight because we have a sinful nature and we're always wanting to slide back in that direction, and that is the future and looking towards that future. And we summed it this way, the fight God calls you to take action against sin in your life. Holy, separate, sever from that. Walk this new life. And God gives you his life in doing that. And then the future. It said, as foreigners, live here with rightful fear of God. So you can go back to listen to last week and tear that apart in your passage in that first chapter of 1 Peter that brought us up through to verse 21. But these two things are critical as it comes to playing and living out the life of holiness. There's the fight, and there's the future. And this future aspect, live in the rightful fear of God, that idea of the fear of God is not like, oh my gosh. The fear of God is loving respect, or respectful loving. Do any of you like 
fear your parents growing up. And it wasn't like they were cruel, mean. It's just like you revered them. You loved them and you respected them. Well, God as your heavenly Father is someone that we need to live in the fear of in a rightful kind of way because we are mere strangers here in this land and one day we will be with him face to face for our eternity. So the fight, the future, I want to touch on a third this morning as it relates to our life of holiness and to be holy as he is holy and that is the family. Don't often do alliteration, so you're in here today. This is good. So the fight, the future, and the family. I've simply entitled it Family and Friends. So do you go with that phrase, family and friends, or should we flip it around and say friends and family? Any of you on a family and friends mobile cell phone plan? Oh, some of you are. Really? I mean, like, I got everybody in my family or my family and friends mobile plan. I pay $100 for me. They get by with $15. That's a pretty good deal, don't you think? How many of you would like to be on the Bowman family and friends mobile cell plan? I'm sorry, you can't. You're not a part of my family. Well, I guess I could put you on as a friend, right? but I ain't paying for you, right? I got enough bills. But, you know, they have these cell plans, family and friends, and, and who gets connected to that? And they're not coming to check, you know, biologically or too tight or friends. Well, you can put anybody you want on your family and friends plan up to, I don't know, maybe 10 people or something like that. But we're a group and we communicate and we talk to one another. We're on this plan together. And in the body of Christ, and what he's saying here in 1 Peter, he then begins to exhort them about this life of holiness and to be holy as I am holy as it relates to the family, to the family of God. And the family of God is something I just want us to pause on today. And it's sort of a sort of unique day that we also get to have the meeting after the meeting today and get to hang with another, one another as family. Because what we have as it relates to family in light of our relationship with Jesus Christ is something very precious and something very dear that we should never uh, discard or take lightly. And maybe you're here and you're just sort of checking God out today or trying to figure out what he might have for you. Well, you're not just checking God out. You're checking out the family of God. I remember when I first started to check out the families of girls that I dated when I was younger. You like the girl until all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, there's a whole family behind this, right? And then you come to like the family. That's nothing to say anything about my wife and that kind of thing. Endeared the family, mom and dad are watching this morning. <laughs> Hi there in southern Indiana. <laughs> But, you know, you don't get to just have a relationship with one person. You're going to be having a relationship with the whole crew at some level, right? Unless you're, you know, very, uh, I don't know, mean and you just sort of distance yourself from them. But that's true with Jesus. You get to have a relationship with Jesus if you want him into your life. But guess what? You're going to have a relationship with the family of Jesus and that's all of us and every follower that's of Christ that's around the world. And sometimes that's a great thing. Like, man, those are just good people. I like hanging with them, and they've been encouraging me. Other times it's like, man, they're a little different. They're a little weird, right? And so this whole idea of family and friends and how it relates to Peter's exhortation to these Christians in exile is critical because they 
were there in their own challenges, but they were there with one another. And so we, as believers in Christ this morning, need to pause and reflect, as he's calling them to pause and reflect, that if we want to have unshakable times, unshakable nature in times of uncertainty, we need to look at the family that we're a part of spiritually. And so he says this then in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. Now that's key, obeying the truth. A lot of times we know the truth, we hear this truth, we like the truth, but we don't obey the truth. So Peter's saying, obey the truth. So now that you have purified, set yourself apart, that you are holy, you are severed, you are other than, you uh, are obeying the truth so that, then this starts to come your way, so that you have sincere love for each other. And then the exhortation. You have this sincere love. It's there embedded because of Christ. Therefore, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. And then he says, why? He says, for you have been born again, that born again into a living hope, that he's pulling from verse 3. You've been born again into a living hope. Again, he states it, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So he's again telling them, picture frame, take stock of what's going on. You've been born anew into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he has called you out to be separate unto, to be holy, not to be a weirdo, to be a geek, but to be separate unto those things that bring you down, those evil desires. And you need to know that you need to rid yourself of sin. And then you need to look to the future, knowing that you're strangers here in a land that will not be ultimately your own, because God has a new heaven and a new earth for you someday. But you'll need to live in rightful fear. And as you're living here in rightful fear of God in anticipation of that future day, then pause, let's take stock, look around you, because you're going to be living forever. And it's not just you in heaven. You're going to be living with other people who are Christ followers, and those Christ followers are family. And so, you've been born again into not only a new life and a new way to live that life, you've been born into a family. And that family, you're to have a sincere love for. And you're to love one another deeply. Each of us are made uniquely by God. Just as surely as no two snowflakes are alike, so also there's no two human beings alike. Neither, there's no person in here, even if you're an identical twin, you're not fully identical. There's still some changes. You're, there are no two human beings that are made physically exactly alike, and there are no two human beings that have the same personality and there's no two human beings that have all the same different kinds. They have different kinds of gifts, mix, and passions. We are each unique unto ourselves. But we are bound together because we are created in God's image. 
that we are human beings. That's why we empathize with tragedy that's happening to other people, whether overseas or in our own state land here. We identify as human beings with others, even though we're unique. And we then carry that into our spiritual world when we are born again into the family of God. That's why I can find somebody that I've never met before and sit down with them if they're a believer in Christ and chat with them a little bit and they have a a deep thread for the Lord and all of a sudden you feel a sense of bonding together. It's like, wow, we're brother and sister. We're brother and brother. Yeah, There's something about this. There's something mystical that goes on. Why is that? Because in Christ... You are family. You are siblings. How are we defined if we're part of family? You came out of the same womb. Or you were legally adopted into that family. You have family relationships. Blood runs thick because of that connectedness all the way back to birth. So also in Christ, when you are born anew, you are born again. You have blood relatives through the blood of Jesus Christ, and they're seated right beside you today. And these blood relatives are to be family. Even when they rub you wrong or you don't like how they're designed as a snowflake, they are different. But we are called to love one another. And because we are born of God and He lives within us, it says, so that you have sincere love for each other. It's there. Tap into it. Now express that love one to another and express it deeply. Been born again. Imperishable. It will never end. That might be encouraging. That might be challenging. C.S. Lewis, some of you know who C.S. Lewis was. He a um, brilliant man. He was an atheist. He came to know Jesus Christ. He wrote a lot of profound things, deep things, but he also wrote kids' books that also were uh, entertaining but also deep. C.S. Lewis in Oxford, England, when he was alive, would meet with different people. And he met with... Um, one couple and build a relationship with them by the name of Sheldon and Davy Van Auken. And um, Sheldon was uh, an author in the United States, and, and he records, Sheldon does, in a book he wrote called Severe Mercy, um, a conversation, an event, an episode he had with C.S. Lewis. And this episode uh, was they were chatting together Uh, in a pub, and they were talking about death, which is very ironic because it would be a short time after that that Sheldon's wife, Davy, would die of a a traumatic way of a liver virus, I think it was. And then uh, shortly after that, C.S. Lewis's own uh, wife named Joy um, uh, would pass away of cancer. C.S. Lewis would write a book uh, uh, called um, uh, About Grief, And then Sheldon wrote this book on um, severe mercy, where he records some of the conversations that he'd had with C.S. Lewis. And um, in this book, he writes of this moment that they had in um, Oxford. He says, uh, we're getting ready to leave. And Lewis said, 
that he hoped Davy and I would come back to England soon, for we mustn't get out of touch, he said. C.S. Lewis said, at all events, and he said this with a cheerful grin, we'll certainly meet again, here or there, because he wanted to see him again. Then it was time to go, and we drained our mugs. When we emerged into the busy high, uh, highway and the traffic streaming past, we shook hands, and he said, I shan't say goodbye. We will meet again. Then he plunged into the traffic. I stood there watching him. When he reached the pavement on the other side, he turned around as though he knew somehow that I would still be standing there in front of the east gate. Then he raised his voice in a great roar. He had this booming voice that easily overcame the noise in the cars and the buses. Heads turned and at least one car even swerved. And he said, besides, he bellowed with a great grin, Christians never say goodbye. I want to see you again. We will see each other again. Whether here or there, I shan't say goodbye because Christians never say goodbye. Why? Because we are born of an imperishable seed. If Christ has come into your life, you will live in eternity forever with Him, and you will live with other brothers and sisters who are born of the same womb, who have some of the same kindred kind of spirits that you do. We are going to continue these relationships, and all the yucky stuff that we don't like about each other, or how we grade on one another, that will fall off, because we will then perfectly know Him, and we will be given new bodies, and we will be fully away from that one sit in the nature and sin and we will be in a blissful place of community forever one with another worshiping the Lord singing declaring that he brought us out of the grave because he came out of the grave we will have worship and experience and community and God has things for us to do this is eternity this is our destiny this is where we're moving and because of that let's come back and be unshakable today in the fight, in the idea of the future, and fearing God, and in our family, because we can enjoy now what we will always enjoy then. You have been born. If you've been born again, you have been born with an imperishable seed through the living and the enduring Word of God. He then slips on, he says this, four, and he pulls back. I think it's from Isaiah. He pulls back a reference and he says, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that we have preached to you. What's that word? That you're born into a living hope. The gospel is the word that's being preached. And he gives this reference to how flowers have their day and they dry up and disappear. But that's not you. If you've been born of God, you are born of an imperishable. You will live forever. And so this concept that we need to love each other deeply is something we need to take to heart in this life, even if you have been harmed in life by even relationships with other Christians. The fight, the future, the family 
love one another deeply now in view of eternity. It's a privilege and a joy to be a part of a Christian community. Can I ask you when you first experienced the joy of being in a Christian family? Or maybe you're looking for that this morning. You're on the outside looking in. You're a solo operator and you're like, I really don't know, Carrie, if I can relate to that, what you're talking about. Well, for me, it was my biological family to begin with. Mom and dad were solid believers. They centered the home around things of Christ. We weren't perfect by any means. But then I remember the early days of church and hanging with kids that were your own age, the innocent fun things you would do, the mischievous things you would do. And you got a little older and you got more creative with those mischievous things. I remember my parents changing churches so, in part, us kids could be a part of a healthy youth, Christ-centered youth community. And that youth ministry made a world of difference in my life. I had the opportunity this week to speak to our youth group. Zach says, well, I'll let you on. And uh, it was a joy just to share with our students on Wednesday night and challenge them about where the church began, which was out of John 1, and you find Jesus just calling people to himself to come follow him. And that was my exhortation, that they just needed to choose to follow him, to come and see and be a part of his life. I remember when I was in that youth community, though, when I was younger, and um, I was sharing with them that my family, when they changed churches for us to be part of this, I went to this church, and I was the only kid from my high school in that youth group. And it had some size to it because we drove a distance a little bit to go to this church. And that was awkward for me because my identity was in my school, right? But there was nobody in this youth group that was a part of my school. And there was one young man in particular that befriended me in life group, in the small group. And that helped me a lot. He was from a neighboring school and he had an appreciation for the letter jacket I wore and the sports that I was in because he was in some sports. But I remember a young couple... Um, that was helping in student ministry, Leon and Linda Ernest. And I remember them because they taught the Sunday school class, and they received me into their family and into the youth group like I was the son. They were fun-loving people. They gave out of their life. And then the next leader and the next leader, and then God really worked through a powerful youth camp one year, I remember. And, and so my, my friend list grew. And when I look back on my junior and my senior years and then even into college, that family at that church was huge to me. All the other things I had a temptation for in life, the distractions of life, I want to be popular, I want to be successful, I want to pursue pleasures, they sort of grew dim because what was happening in that family and our relationship and as we were pursuing Christ and his kingdom, I was like, I want that, I want that. It was the family of God in part that called me into my deeper faith and it was family in that youth ministry, adults and fellow peers that would choose to love me deeply and some of those are friends to this very day. In fact, I woke up this week and got a text for, from one of them said, hey, I'm praying for you today. Where does it go? It goes all the way back to those youth years. I said, well, thanks for praying for me today. He's now a fellow pastor as well. And I thought, I have been blessed 
by being in a rich family. Melissa and I started a church after we were married, and that family grew, and, and rich people, friendships there. Some of them maybe even watched it today online. Rich family. I would not be where I'm at today in pursuing Christ to have an unshakable foundation to walk a life of holiness if it wasn't for getting immersed in a family of Christ followers. Now here's the problem. Sometimes Christ followers, myself included, we can mess up. And we don't love deeply. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we end up sometimes hurting one another. And church hurt is real. In other words, you had these relationships, something got sideways. I mean, we just came through a series on how assembly required, a reassembly required and how to mend broken relationships. And the choice, whether their choice, your choice, whatever, those relationships faltered. You got burnt. You decided, I'm going to go stand over here by myself. I'm going to protect myself and do this. But friends, when we choose to do that, we become susceptible. Uh, 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 we come prone to the dangers of uncertain times if we don't have that rich biblical Christian community to support us and for us to support them. And so we have to protect the sanctity of the family and the body of Christ. And it's not like, oh, I think I'll get by and then I get to go to heaven and then I get to pick my own mansion. I guess he's preparing for a mansion. I get to do my own little solo thing there. No. The bride of Christ is not a group of individuals. The bride of Christ is a community of Christ lovers. And we will be the bride of Christ together with one another. And if that is our destiny in the future, that's imperishable, then we need to come back into this life and practice healthy, biblical community given sincere love through the Holy Spirit. May we love each other deeply. And I know this happens. I've seen it happen in my own home. Probably one of the people that loves people the deepest the most is my wife. And we talk about this sometimes. You love people deeply, but when you do that, you set yourself up for some potential hurt sometimes. Because there's comings and goings. Different kinds of things. So what do you do? I did that. Done. I'm done. You pull back. I've never seen anybody pull back from a biblically functioning community and loving people deeply that isn't missing something of vitality in their life. So, why do I say this? Well, because Peter's talking about it. But Peter knew what was needed for the people to stand strong during that day. And Peter knew that they needed a little bit more instruction on this. So he relates this to the family dimension of holiness. Therefore, because of this living hope and what you've been born into, and you're a part of this family, which is a horizontal relational realm, right? Rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, what do those five words have in common? They're all relational words. They're all relational words. 
Malice is sort of a, a big summary kind of word for all kinds of things and difficulties and things that can happen one with another. Deceit, uh, deceit means to do a bait and switch kind of thing. Peter knew about that as a fisherman, right? Because you fish with bait and that kind of thing. Oh, I tricked you. I got you. It's like, don't have any deceit in your relationships. Hypocrisy comes from uh, a theater word, which means to put on a mask. Don't pretend in these relationships to be somebody that you're not. Just be authentic and transparent. Be real. Envy. Envy is one of the seven uh, great sins, right? They actually say sometimes that envy is the last ones that Christians admit to because it's sort of ugly because you envy the success or the prosperity of someone else or you gloat in their misfortune. Envy. And then slander. Oh, slander can happen at all different kinds of angles. Words said, spoken, even thoughts kind of things. And Peter says, because you are born into this imperishable, eternal family that calls you to love one another deeply, and you need to be doing that now on this horizontal level, then you need to rid yourself. Rid, what the word rid means is to uh, discard dirty clothes kind of idea. So take off those filthy, dirty clothes. What filthy, dirty clothes? Oh, you know. Those ones, it's, it's out there in the world. Sometimes it's in the church, sadly. You know, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Get rid of those dirty clothes. Rid yourself of them. You're not called to them. You're called to something else. And so he says this then as it carries on. Like newborn babies. Hey, we're born anew, right? You're born out of the same womb. Like newborn babies then crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Some of us know what it's like to raise a child that is hungry, craving spiritual milk. It's not a demeaning word, even if you're a long-seasoned believer. But crave spiritual milk because it's saying this horizontal stuff of loving one another deeply, getting rid of all you know, uh, slander and envy and uh, deceit and malice and, 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 and getting rid of that and clothing yourself with the deep, sincere love that comes from the Holy Spirit to be a part of this family. It's dependent. This horizontal stuff is dependent on the vertical. The vertical means you've got to be deeply rooted and the Word of God, and you've got to crave, you've got to hunger for the Word of God and truth. And not just to know it, right? Not just to know it, but what did it say a couple of verses ago? But to obey the truth. And so, be ye holy as I am holy. It's a strong exhortation. And the strong exhortation is in these three ways. Live it out. The fight God calls you to take action against sin in your life. Just get rid of it. You don't need to go those directions. You're born anew. Remember your future then. You're strangers here in this land. You're heading toward a destiny. And live in rightful fear of God. And then remember the family dimension. Love one another deeply now in view of eternity. Be holy. Because I am holy. 
You've been born and given a new life. Now walk and live that life out. And we're at it again this week. We're at it again even this very day. I'm going to do something that... uh,